Josh Swanson Vogel Lopper. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. And I love checking in with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law because, you know, Law & Order, big show on television. CSI, you know, law shows are always number one on television and streaming. So they got to be huge on the radio and podcasting. Ain't that right, Josh Swanson? Absolutely. You know, there's no no uh, coincidence there. Law & Order, one of the longest running TV shows in history. I think it was up to 400 plus episodes in the the true crime podcast and the crime See? stuff leading off the news. So pe- people, people love the law and order, Jason, and that's what I'm here to provide, a little bit of law and order. So now that we've made this interview bigger than 10 Super Bowls, we should probably get right into it here. So uh, let's start off with an update on the uh, famous Lake Sakakawea Wilkinson case out in uh, western North Dakota. Start off by, you know, just a quick elevator pitch style summary of the case and then where we're at today. The state of North Dakota continues to claim that it owns all the minerals under the lake by virtue of the United States acquiring that property for Garrison Dam and the Lake Sakakawea Reservoir. As you and your listeners know, the legislature passed Senate Bill 2134 a couple sessions ago, which which created a new set of statutes in our century code, which led to the Industrial Commission issuing an order saying that the state's interests are limited to the historic river as it existed prior to the dam, which is what everybody agrees with as far as mineral owners and operators. But for whatever reason, the the state here, in its case, between the state engineer and land board, will not release its claim to the Wilkinson's minerals, despite the fact that Wilkinson's minerals are indisputably above the ordinary high water mark as determined by the industrial commission so the final set of briefs we just filed our brief with the north dakota supreme court responding to the state's appeal as you know you know visiting last fall the district court grant summary judgment in the mineral owners my client's favor the state appealed that we're before the supreme court now we filed our uh, response brief to the state's appeal Last week, and the Supreme Court has set the case for an argument in April. We're just waiting on a, a specific date for argument, but it will be argued in the April term. Argued in the April term. Okay. And um, you've won the last couple, haven't you? This is like an appeal? This is an appeal, and we've won. The, the frustrating thing in the, the North Dakota Petroleum Council filed an amicus brief in our case, by and large, taking our position in the case and agreeing with us and and we certainly appreciate them doing that you know you have a case where mineral owners and operators are on the same page and united against the state's keystone cops approach and attempt to claim minerals they have no interest in and it's a, a case where we won the last appeal a couple of years ago we've won the last well every decision since then at the district court the legislature has passed the statute the governor signed it so you've had in the last you know three four years here everybody and their mother-in-law coming out telling the state engineer and land board they don't have a claim but for whatever reason they persist in saying that they own these minerals so now the the silver lining i suppose is we're at the light at the end of the tunnel back in front of the supreme court for a second time and we're hopeful and optimistic that the Supreme Court will side with our position and, and finally and definitively say that 
the state has no interest in these private minerals. With the oil prices the way they are, um, do you foresee this being an issue? What I mean by that is, listen, Josh, 55% of the state's budget is tied to the oil uh, extraction and production tax in North Dakota. So you know as well as I do, they're going to be looking for ways to find money. And this might be one of those ways. Is that is that out of line for me to say at this juncture? The the interesting thing about that, you know, the the state itself, uh, what effectively the state wants to do, the land board wants to sue the industrial commission on this, so we'd have a lawsuit captioned "state versus state." So you have the the left hand of state government not doing what the right hand's doing, and there are some folks. And that's how I think, Jason, this whole thing started back in 2010. Someone with the land border in the attorney general's office got this bright idea that they could just take private property and make a bunch of money off it. And that's what all these memos from the land board back from the fall and summer of 2010 indicate. So I, I think, you know, that old saying, follow the money, I think there's certainly a motivating factor with some individuals that think this is a revenue source for the state. The, the other end of it, though, as the, the Petroleum Council has noted in its brief, and, and mineral owners are paying attention to it, operating and developing these minerals has a significant cost. And there's, you know, when you throw in uncertainty and, and actions that the state is doing, all of a sudden that, that's a, a complicating factor with regards to developing these minerals if, if operators are not knowing who to pay. And the operators themselves, as far as the Petroleum Council, siding with the private mineral owners here i mean they're you know my take on it is they're agreeing with our position but at the same time they're being put into a corner a little bit because they don't want to go pay private mineral owners like my clients and then have the state clawing back at them trying to get money and with with any sort of business when you have that uncertainty when you're looking at the, you know down economic times you know everything between the coronavirus and what the oil markets are doing not exactly a ripe environment to be investing a lot of money in developing these wells and when you have government getting in the way that doesn't help things at all and that's that's one of the more frustrating parts about this is that it's a tough time for a lot of folks in the oil and gas industry and mineral owners that the one thing that mineral owners and operators can agree on they want that price to be good and they want that oil to be developed and when the state gets in the way of that it isn't good for anybody has the Petroleum Council taken a side in this? Yeah, and that that's you know that go, that goes back to the the uh, brief they actually filed in the case supporting our position. So the Petroleum Council did. I'm you know I'm glad he brought that up because I think it's a point that needs to to be emphasized. Is that they have filed a brief in support of the Wilkinson's position. They there's a, a little bit of divergence there as far as the timeline for paying it, but uh, the ultimate issue, the the key issue, the you know number one top of the fold leading off top of the hour news story the big issue is ownership of the minerals and the petroleum council agrees the state doesn't have any claim to these minerals how about the governor and the attorney general and the reason i i, I basically point at those two is because they sit on the land board and they sit on the industrial commission so they have overlapping uh board meetings and have they come out on this at all, on either side? No, they, they really haven't. There's been radio silence, and, and that's one of the frustrating things on behalf of mineral owners. And, and as we note in our brief, 
to the Supreme Court that the governor and attorney general both sit on the industrial commission that issued an order approving the study, which determined that all these minerals were above the ordinary high water mark in the state by virtue of that had no claim to them. But now you have the land board on which the governor and attorney general also sit suing my, or you know, contesting that claim in court, the lawsuit that my clients are in the land board is saying they have a claim to these minerals. So the, the, the issue where it's so very frustrating for a private citizen and a mineral owner like my clients, you have two state boards, the industrial commission and the land board, and two of the, the big players, if not the biggest players on, on both of those entities, the governor and the attorney general, they're taking opposite positions on this issue. And it's further, you know, the, the whole, I hate to call it a Shakespearean tragedy or, or be, you know, too melodramatic about it, but, you know, the Sorum versus State case where you have uh, Representative Nelson and Paul Sorum, an architect out of Fargo, suing the state, challenging the constitutionality of the, the statute we've been talking about. That was just argued a few weeks ago to the Supreme Court. And in that case, the state agrees with our position. So you've got the state, and that's one of the things we'll raise with the Supreme Court, and we've argued in our briefing, is the state is taking diametrically opposed positions, one position in our case, and the exact opposite position in this Sorum litigation. So that this whole saga, the fact it's gone on for for you know going on a decade now, and the state can't figure out what the hell it wants to argue on it, and has taken conflicting positions. We're looking forward to to getting in front of the Supreme Court and hoping to get some clarity. I, I think that's really one thing between you know, whether it's the Petroleum Council operators or mineral mineral owners, we need that voice for the, from the Supreme Court that's loud and clear, and tells the state to knock this stuff off. Okay, two things here. Number one is I'm just writing my notes down from my former uh, political days when I was doing a lot more of the political news back at my, my old uh, stomping grounds. And I'm missing that, man, because what you just said, I think I wrote about six months worth of uh, talk radio down just off of the attorney general and uh, governor. And that's the, that's the second part I want to get into here, which is the Keystone Copper word you used earlier, I think is probably a pretty good description because i mean i'm this again this is if i was a pundit okay if i was a political pundit i would be all over this josh because you have the governor and you have the attorney general who sit on the land board and they sit on the industrial commission and they might end up suing each other is that what you were telling yeah, is, it, that, it, is that it, is that is that, 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 that i'm sorry but i just had to make sure am i if i'm following my notes correctly here <laughs> yeah, that, that's, it, it, it sounds absurd to say, but that is the reality of the situation, that the land board is arguing to the Supreme Court that they should be able to challenge the order issued under statute by the Industrial Commission, which means that the land board would have to sue the Industrial Commission, on which the governor and attorney general both sit. And if it sounds bonkers and, you know, bad blank crazy, it's because it absolutely is, and, and I would love for for somebody to, to step up. The legislature tried to get it right, but it's the executive branch of government that has screwed the pooch on this and, and letting this get so sideways where they're, they're either one of two things. They're blissfully ignorant, and they just don't care, and they have their heads so far buried in the sand, or they've committed to a course of action, and they're showing 
poor leadership by taking this thing to a conclusion where the ultimate outcome is inescapable. The state does not and cannot, as a matter of law, own these minerals, but they continue to put private mineral owners and, and operators through this. So at, at one point, you would think there would be someone in an office in the Capitol somewhere saying, enough is enough. How did it ever get to this point? But they've doubled down and they've tripled down and they've quadrupled down. And we're to the point where we're going back to the Supreme Court for a second time on this when the Supreme Court was clear in its first decision as to the takings issue, I think, in the application of the statute. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. And if it sounds like there's a lot of frustration in my voice, you know, there there is. I have clients that have lived with this for a decade. I've had clients who have died, who have died without being able to enjoy the minerals and the proceeds from the minerals that are rightfully theirs. And as much as I love making money and being a lawyer, I've got clients that are paying me to argue a same position where I know we're right. I know that the law says the state cannot take their minerals, but here we are, you know, going on a decade where the state of North Dakota refuses to drop their claim to the minerals. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to arguing this to the North Dakota Supreme Court. We're looking forward to a decision from the Supreme Court, and we're looking to really looking forward to some finality on it because at the end of the day enough enough is enough where the the outcome and the destination we've arrived at is the land board threatening or saying that they might sue the industrial commission to challenge this is, is absolutely ludicrous that is so amazing to me like i said folks you want to have some good good radio, good podcast, you bring on an attorney because what we're just listening to right here is before the garrison, when was the garrison diversion? The 60s? Was that when it was built? Was the, was the 1960s or 50? When was that garrison diversion built? It, built it, the dam itself was built in the 50s. 50s, okay, a, 50s. I, and, President Eisenhower, one of my favorite presidents, was out uh, out there in uh, Garrison or Riverdale when they did the, the initial dirt work back, and I, I want to say it was 53 or 54, Ike was out there for that, and they had a big party. Well, and where I'm going with this is that, uh, they, so back in the, those days, it was farmland, and then they were going to build this diversion, this dam. And f- the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers came in and sited that land, Correct. They, they absolutely did. They and then they, they at that time, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had the minerals to your current clients, correct? They, my clients and thousands of other private mineral owners in a very comprehensive and in-depth process where what you're getting at here, the listener who's listening to this right now is going to say, that really can't be the case, is it? What is the state doing? That's exactly what they're doing in this matter had been settled for half a century. And the state was involved in that process where the the Corps of Engineers came in and acquired all the surface and determined where the boundary of the historic river was and determined the takings line for the property they would need to take. And in fact, to, to add another layer of absurdity to this cake of, you know, the half-baked cake the state's trying to take out of the oven, Back in 2016, when the state tried to redraw these lines through those Bartlett and West studies and claim all these minerals, the Department of Interior and Bureau of Land Management issued a decision 
telling the state, you know, in short, they were out of their minds and acting in an illegal manner, trying to redraw these lines. And the state still persisted even in the face of that. Well, where I was going with this is what, what it really seems to me is like what happens when an oil boom, an oil bust happens? Because, you know, we had, what, 20 years without any real oil activity out there. And during that time, a new wave of politicians came in, a new wave of elected officials, a new wave of appointed leaders of, uh, of, of um, boards. Keep in mind, a lot of decisions get made by appointed people, not by elected people, by appointed people. And I, I think what happened here was they, they saw a way to make more money. They saw a way to direct more money to their projects that they wanted to do, and they didn't realize what had happened. And because of the power they have, and they, I mean, like you said, your, your clients are paying you. And a lot of them haven't even paid on these mineral rights. But these government uh, elected officials that are taking these citizens to court, they get their checks. They get paid. They get their mortgages paid, no problem. That's where I think the real problem is, is that it's almost like they're bleeding the citizens and they're bleeding, the, they're hemorrhaging them from what has already been proven and awarded to by the Supreme Court, that, that's where it really bothers me, is that they, they know they're in the wrong, but it's like they're digging their heels in because they can. Does that Am I out of line for saying that, Josh? No, I, I don't think so. And I, I think there's a, a, you know, when you talk about government and, and private industry, and I don't want to be the guy bashing government because we've got hundreds of, of really good public servants in our state and in our communities, but in this situation, there's been such a failure of leadership and a lacking of accountability where, you know, had this been a, a private business like my law firm or, or any other sort of organization, someone's ass would have been fired for screwing up like this. You know, you hold people accountable. They can't get away with this stuff, but at the state government, you're spot on that there's people appointed to these positions and they don't have that same sort of accountability or they haven't been held accountable. And I, and I want to read you a, 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 a quick excerpt here. And this is from a March 23rd, 2016 decision by the U.S. Department of Interior telling the state that what they were trying to claim was out of line. And I'm quoting, the core segment maps are firmly grounded, grounded in guidance, methodology, and contemporaneous field investigation of the land prior to the effects of flooding. These segment maps are the most comprehensive evidence of the ordinary high water mark prior to the artificial rising to create Lake Sakakawea. The segment maps were the basis for millions of dollars of appropriated funds being spent to acquire displaced uplands and were generated with determinations from in the field investigations by the BLM, involvement from the BLM, and the state of North Dakota Land Board and have gone uncontested for over 60 years. And the state still persists in light of that. So I, I think when you say, I think it's completely fair to say that there's appointed folks and whether it's advisors and even to a certain extent, you know, it's like that old Harry Truman sign on the, the Roosevelt desk in the Oval Office, the buck stops here. At a certain point, whether it's the attorney general or governor, You've got to walk into an office or go up to the people that work for you and say, what the hell is going on? We need to fix this. And, and, you know, when I say there's been such a failure of leadership here on all levels, that's exactly what's happened. It should have never, ever gone to this point yet. Here we are getting ready to go back to the Supreme Court for a second time 
after private, and it's not just my clients that haven't been paid in about a decade. It's thousands of other people, people I talk to every week whose proceeds from their minerals are being held in suspense because of the state's ludicrous claim to them. So <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong here, that this is actually, okay, this is going to have a ripple throughout these other, these other people as well. But um, so let's say that, you know, you guys, the, the Supreme Court sides with you again after this appeal. So then you've, you've won once again. And then the land department does sue the industrial commission. Well, then what? The, the, I mean, I don't understand how that could even happen. And then now I don't understand what that would accomplish because let's say the land board sues the industrial commission that both the attorney general and the governor both sit on. And Helms, is, is Helms on the land board too? I don't think so, is he? No, he's, no. he's not. Because I was going to say the industrial commission's only three people, right? No. Yep, correct. Uh, the governor, the AG, and then the egg commissioner. The egg commissioner, that's it. The egg commissioner. Then, um, so that's right. The governor's not even on there. My fault. My fault on that. No, um, the, the governor. The governor's on the industrial commission. It'd be the uh, governor Burgum, attorney general Stengem, and then uh, commissioner Goring are the three on the. Uh, oh, that's right. Helms isn't even on that. No. That's right. He's not yeah, even on he, that. He's the executive. Yeah, he's the executive director of the oil and gas. He's he, he, he's the guy that's that has to do the it. stuff that they say. That's right. Okay, he's the he, regulator. He's got a big boy. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, okay. He, he, he certainly plays a role. Do you see how confusing this can get? And so, I, I okay. So, but either way, my point is, is that the attorney general and the governor sit on the same board here, and um, if they sue each other, well, what's that going to accomplish? I mean, besides spending a bunch of tax money, because at the end of the day, the whole idea is, is they want those minerals that the citizens have had their whole life. So, if the land board sues the Industrial Commission, I guess, I don't even know what that would solve. And, and here's, here's, here's the kicker to it. That's what they're arguing to the Supreme Court, that the land board should be able to sue and challenge the Industrial Commission. The land board's not going to do that. We all know that. Can, can you imagine the land board filing a lawsuit against the Industrial Commission? I, I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what... Now, there's two different things. There's the land board saying they should be able to do that, and saying they have that right. But at the end of the day, is the land board really going to sue the Industrial Commission? I don't think so, but that's what the land board is arguing they should be able to do. So they're arguing that this thing should be held up for something that in all likelihood will never happen because it's it's tough to, to fathom or envision that the land board is actually going to sue the Industrial Commission when you have two of its you know big-ticket members overlapping and sitting on both boards and suing themselves well that's why i it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous but at the same time just the fact that the conversation has been had or the and idea that's what arguing that's what the land board yeah. is arguing they're, that, they're arguing they should be able to do that right and that's what i'm saying just the fact that any energy is being expelled towards that is absolutely asinine in my opinion in 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 this reporter's opinion and it's making me want to get back in the political game once again because this is a political year and boy that's like shooting fish in a barrel there i mean that's that's unbelievable to me. I thought it was absolutely hilarious when um, the Western Area Water Supply was, which is a, um, which is kind of a um, uh, political subdivision, you know. And and there's other ones like that as well. That's just the first one off the top of my head. They have a lobbyist, so 
it's unbelievable when you have uh, government departments that actually have lobbyists to go lobby for more government money. I thought that was bizarre. But now when you have inner departments talking about suing each other, when more than 50% of the committee is made up by the same people, I don't even know what to call that. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and well, here's <laughs> the interesting thing there is that the attorney general's office is the legal counsel for both of those entities. I know. So there's, o- there's overlap with the attorneys there. So at what point does the attorney general tell his attorneys to knock it off or take charge of this thing? So that's the, you know, it's, it's just a layer upon layer of absurdity here where you get down into a, a, a legal universe where it's tough. If someone would have told me, you know, six, seven years ago when, when I got involved in this case, this is where we would be, I would say, hey, there's, there's no possible way under the law or facts. You can never end up there, and the state would never argue, argue that. But, but yet, you know, sometimes life is stranger than fiction, and here we are. This has got all the twists and turns and drama of law and order with the comedy of the office. Yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a really bad John. You know, I'm a big John Grisham fan. I read all of his books. It's it's a really uh, kind of <laughs> really goofy Grisham plot where you got uh, different folks and well the same folks playing different sides of the, of the same angle and it just gets all convoluted and you have these plot twists. And if if this were a Grisham book, I probably would have thrown it away after 20 pages saying this is oh, absolutely much crazy. kinder than me i'm i'm thinking of a bunch of steve carell's from the office trying to run meetings yeah trying to just look no, the part yeah. and yep just saying just trying to say the right thing just coming out with a bunch of cliche sayings to move things along and not even understanding what the, happened in the meeting and actually i think there's yeah. more i think there's more evidence for what i just said than what the actual reality is I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I, I just don't get it, but all right. So let's transition gears here a little bit. Um, obviously you've seen the news when it comes to the stock market, the oil prices, the coronavirus, all the different things that are happening that is creating some problems with the economy. And, um, you know, it, we, it's not a good time for that, but one of the things that does open up is, you know, some people need some contract help. They need some help collecting bills. They need some help, you know, from that sort of thing. Uh, do you guys, Josh, do you do that? I know you ha- you do minerals and, and that sort of thing, and you guys do have a pretty big law firm, so I'm sure you can refer it out if you don't do it. But uh, are you guys getting any calls on that? I'm sure you are when it comes to people that are needing help deciphering how to get some bills paid and what does this contract mean that was signed, you know? Yeah, and that's, I think that's, you know, we saw it happen a couple of years ago and, and Vogel does offer those services, the contract business disputes, collection issues, breach of contract. We, you know, we're a full service firm with over 50 attorneys. So we've got that covered and, and I'm involved in that stuff. And that's, that's one of the realities when there's a downturn in the market, you know, cash cash and ends up um folks having concerns about whether or not bills are going to get paid before people fold or take off and hightail it out of here so when, when times are good and everyone's sitting in a pretty good cash position if you've got you know 200 or 300k in in accounts you need to collect from someone who did some work for you or or whatever it, it might slide for a while but then when when the price is oil starts to drop and there's the the dark clouds looming on the horizon for the economy then folks tend to um 
need representation on that. So that's that's something we're familiar with, something we work in. And if there's listeners out there that are needing representation, they're welcome to give us a call on that. But that's one of the realities with you know any sort of not just oil, but any sort of market where you have a more boom bust commodity where it's up and down and there's fluctuations there's different work on the front end of it there's different work during you know peak development or the last you know probably 18 to 24 months where things were pretty stable and then when you get to uh, a trough in the market where things bottom out a little bit it's a, a different kind of work that needs to, to be done from a business perspective on that well, and I talked to a guy earlier in the finance world because, you know, he does some non-traditional independent type loans because the banks are tightening up right now. You know, they're they're actually making energy companies go back and get a new certification. And at a time when slow pay is a real problem and when stocks are down, you know, there's a need for some alternative financing. Just like, you know, what we said for about you with some of the contract disputes, the breach of contracts, that's a real thing. And that's one of the things that happens during, you know, the ebbs and flows of the market. I remember talking to Kevin Pfeiffer at uh, Pfeiffer Auction when the uh, first downturn came in the Bakken. And he actually, he felt bad because a lot of companies that he sold property to five years later, he was selling it away from him because, you know, they lost it or they needed to sell it, you know, and so he was making money during the good times and the bad times. And it dawned on him, you know, that even during the bad times when he was making money, it, he still felt bad about it, but it's still there. And um, yeah, no one, and no one certainly wants to, all of us, whether it's, you know, you, me, anyone in the game, we'd much rather see the, the markets on the other side of it and things going well, because that's, that's better for the economy writ large. Uh, you know, folks are, spending money they're hiring there's job creation and folks aren't getting laid off or, or fired and and we saw you know the the downside of it a few years ago when things bottomed out all the job loss and and that's something that nobody wants but that that's a reality where when you talk about the the alternative financing and banks tightening up and and that's it's one of those things about the economy you know we saw it with the markets earlier this week panic is the the worst thing that could happen then you have a sell-off and folks start getting anxious and then that that lack of confidence can have such a disastrous effect and on the market and i and i don't need to tell you that but you know i, I think that the concern here and i've heard folks you know we mentioned lynn helms earlier i've seen him out there talking about it and and i've seen other individuals in the the industry out there um you know people are paying attention and everyone's hoping for the the best but you know, there's an element that you have to prepare for, for every contingencies, and hopefully the Saudis and the Russians will get things figured out. But, you know, I, I would say, the, you know, where we're sitting right now, it has an impact on our business because it impacts our clients, and, and we care about our clients, and we'd rather see the market doing a lot better than it is because it, it certainly has an impact on communities from Williston to Dickinson to Crosby, Watford City, Bismarck, and all the way to Fargo where, you know, I'm talking to you from my outlaw office and it impacts what I'm doing. Now, you're stationed in North Dakota, so you do a lot of work primarily with the Bakken and mineral owners and, and oil and gas companies with the Bakken, but you've got clients all over the country, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, you know, in fact, the, the majority of clients that I have, you know, there's a lot of them that I don't meet face-to-face or person-to-person it's all over the phone and they're located not just all over the country but all over the world and and of course i've got 
clients, a lot of farmers and ranchers and even energy companies and service providers in North Dakota. But that's, that's one of the things with, with this uh, commodity, the oil and gas industry. There's folks from all over that, that have an interest in it, and, and they're amongst my clients. I'm glad to represent them. I'm, I'm looking at one of my office shelves, and I get you know Christmas cards and graduation cards and thank you cards, and I just kind of stack them up on my shelves, and they're from all corners of the country. All right, just before we uh, let you go, I need to find out what's going on in the world of podcasting because, folks, not only is he an attorney, but he's also a podcaster. He does the North Dakota State podcast, the NDSU Bison podcast, if you will, primarily football, but I know that uh, you also get into the basketball world, and I think the Bison are um, in the finals for the Summit League Championship as we're speaking right now. At least I saw they won the other night in Sioux Falls. And um, are you still doing the podcast? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we're we still doing it. And in fact, the uh, the Bison beat the University of North Dakota 89-53. to You laid a 36-point beat down on UND to win the Summit League Championship to punch their ticket to March Madness, so Dave Richmond and, and the boys will be back playing in the NCAA tournament. They'll find out here on Selection Sunday coming up in a few days who they'll play. But, yeah, the Bison are back in the NCAA tournament, and, and I still got, uh, you know, you talk about podcasting, I'm still doing the weekly radio show, The Herded Here with Swanee on uh, KFGO Sister Station, 740 AM, The Fan. And we're, we're tentatively, you know, I just talked to one of the guys from the station this morning. We're, we're planning... Um, potential road trips coverage options to follow the bison and broadcast from wherever they're playing from but the uh coronavirus issue and the ncaa how they're going to handle that at different locations will play a role but yeah we're still doing that and we're still having a really good time covering the bison and then what can you say about you know dave richmond's squad they 25 and 8 in the regular season going back to the ncaa tournament just such a remarkable job by him I didn't even realize the University of North Dakota was in the Summit League for basketball. I didn't. I didn't even know that. Um, I, I knew they were. Yeah, in... they just they just jumped from the Big Sky a couple of years ago. I think okay. Their second full second full year here in the Summit. Yeah. So look at that, my alma mater, NDSU. They're going to be playing in the uh, North uh, the March Madness tournament, and uh, are they expected to get you know a 12 seed or a 15 seed, or are they looking at maybe as much as a 10? I don't know. I mean, my guess is they'd probably be a 14 or 15. Yeah, if, if you if I had to put money on it, I'd say they they'd probably end up on that 14 line, especially with how they ended the regular season. They're they're something like 12 and one. In their last 13 games, oh. going back to January, yeah, they've had, had had a really good stretch. They beat East Tennessee State, who is one of the better teams in mid-major basketball. Mid East Tennessee beat LSU earlier this year. The Bison beat East Tennessee. So, with the 36-point win in a conference championship game, the the fact that that was nationally broadcast, and you've got guys. Anytime you can put up 89 points and have guys, you know not just one guy carrying the load for NDSU. I think that's what makes him so dangerous. You got Vinny Shahid and Tyson Ward that could play at most Power 5 schools. But then you've got guys like a Jared Samuelson and a Rocky Cruiser and Cam Hunter and, and Sam Greasel who can come off and knock down big shots from you and score when your main guys aren't scoring. And, and you need that to, to put up 89 points like the Bison did. But what makes them really dangerous, Jason, is they can play lockdown defense that's the bread and butter of a dave richmond team they are so fundamentally sound on the defensive end that 
if they can get if they can avoid that 15 line if they can get up to the 14 line or even the 13 line they got a chance to to win some games in march madness and then you know folks might call me crazy they've got the potential the way they can shoot the ball from the perimeter the way tyson ward and vinnie shaheed can get to the rim and get to the free throw line the way they convert on those free throws and the way they play defense this team if they knock down shots they can hang with anybody and we've seen it in march we've seen 10 seeds and 11 seeds make it to the sweet 16 and even the elite eight so stay tuned because the buys in this team this team's got the parts where they could put together a run here in the next few weeks i'm going to predict a 13 seed for them based on the just what you mentioned their streak they're on i think the tournament is going to the selection committee is going to take that into consideration because they love the upsets. They love the the ten to thirteen uh, upsets. Those those ones are great because they'll make it to the Sweet Sixteen, and you know as well as I do. At the end of the day, it's two of the number ones in the Final Four, and usually a three and a two. Uh, every now and then, a four or yeah. five gets in there, but generally, it's the top three ranked you know teams in each division. One of them get in there, and uh, but it's fun. I mean, every team's got a shot. I mean, I've Valparaiso, man, Homer Drew, back when I was a kid. That's what I remember, making shots, making it to the Sweet 16. And Jim uh, uh, Valvano with uh, North, Car- North Carolina State looking for someone to hug. And, yeah, look at who, who's, who can I hug and no one will hug me. He's just looking for someone. It's great. But, well, all right, man, we better um, We better uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want some uh, legal help on the – uh, mineral side or the debt servicing and the contract disputes if you will and then we'll talk about uh, where they can get your podcast too so on the legal side where can they find you they can find us at vogellaw.com that's v-o-g-e-l law l-a-w.com they can also give us a call at 701-237-6983 that's 701-237-6983 Eight three, and we'll get them uh, whatever their need is. We'll get them to the right person. And the podcast is available. How it's on the radio and online? Is that correct? Yeah, radio and online on Apple iTunes. Search Buys and Illustrated podcast. You can also find us on Google Play and SoundCloud, or check out BuysandIllustrated.com. And for the uh, radio show on the terrestrial radio, heard it here with Swanee every Saturday morning from eight to nine a.m. on seven forty a.m. The fan. 107.3 FM, and they can listen online at 740thefan.com.